Thank you for joining us today as we walk shoulder to shoulder, growing in the love of the Lord and each other. I'm Megan Silas. And I am Pam Marvin. And I'm really uh, excited today about what we're going to be talking about because it's really just been a big thing that's happened in Pam's life. And I just thought there was probably so much there that she could share about Mm -hmm. what she went through with this experience and how God worked in it and through it. So today is going to be one of these days where it's going to be a little bit more like an interview than a uh, than a conversation. But uh, Pam's going to share with us um, a really difficult circumstance that happened with um, her newborn grandbaby. And so I'm going to kind of turn it over to her and just let her start where she wants to start with it. And, you know, just come in every now and then with a little question or or that or this, that or the other. But just really let uh, kind of Pam tell this story uh, that I think is really going to bless all of you. So, Pam. Take it away. Well, let me start really at the beginning. Such a natural, happy thing. My daughter, who had been married for five years, and all of us have been like for the last three going, when's she going to have a baby? When's she going to have a baby? You know? And finally, the day comes, and she's expecting, and we're all so joyful and happy. And during, I'm telling you, the whole nine months of her pregnancy, I prayed the Lord would give her a, um, a healthy... Um, good labor delivery, healthy baby, you know, just for the process to go well, according to his plan and his purpose. Right. And I prayed that for the entire nine months um, that my daughter was pregnant. Well, um, so the day comes when my daughter's in labor. It's very exciting. You know, she, uh, her water breaks around 3 a.m. in the morning. I think they go to the hospital around 7 a.m., and um, she's contracting well, and everything's going very smoothly until it wasn't. And basically, I'm maybe getting the timeline wrong, but around noon or two that day, she stalls at five centimeters. Mm-hmm. She's doing it all naturally. That was a really part of her birth plan. You know, our history and our family of both me and my other daughter is pretty quick births. You know, we have about a five to six hour labor if no meds are used. So Mm -hmm. that is kind of what she was anticipating. Um, Well, again, she stalled out five, six centimeters and they let her stay there from, you know, that time. So we're talking about another, oh gosh, eight hours of no progress. Wow, that's a long time. That's a long time that she labored until she said, "I can't, I can't do this anymore like this naturally." Um, and so they decided to put her on an epidural and give her pitocin at 11 p.m. Okay, that night. Let me just pause you one sec at that point. So I would imagine that you're kind of in touch with her during this process. You know she's in labor, and then you've got this long period of time of just stalled out. Right. Which I didn't actually know what was going on. Oh, you didn't. I wasn't really aware. This is, Uh I'm telling you the the facts post. I'm I'm still thinking everything's going well and going along. It's just taking a little time Uh um, until I got the word. Okay. It's not progressing, but I didn't know that she literally had been at five centimeters since, you know, like say noon that day Uh and then 11 PM. So we're talking, you know, 11 hours later, she's not progressed. She's going on epidural and Pitocin. Um, but since then, I have learned that when you stall like that, there's something wrong. Okay. And most most people agree there's something wrong. And that was, there was. Um, 
Well, anyway, she she went on the epidural in the Pitocin, and they let her labor on through the night. And again, there was no progress. Mm. And there was no physician that, that looked in on her throughout the evening and a series of other things, but uh, we'll leave it at that part. Um, at when the shift changed around 7 a.m., the, the day nurse came on and was like, oh, my gosh, you know, she needs emergency C-section. So they took her in and mm. had emergency C-section. And at this point, they, um, they did believe the baby had been without oxygen for an extensive amount of time. And they thought it was encephalopathy. How can you say it for encephalopathy. me? Encephalopathy. Yes. Okay. So she was immediately, her body was completely cooled down. I'm thinking of the brain swelling, and she was transported to Children's Medical Hospital. Mm -hmm. In this is in the Dallas area. Um, so at this point, we thought my granddaughter has brain damage. Right. <laughs> I remember praying with friends outside of St. Mary's because it was a Sunday evening, and I was here, and two of my dear friends uh, were with me right after mass and praying with me, over me, for me, and for all of us, which was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, the next day, I guess it was about 24 hours later, and we're well, getting well, very sketchy okay, information. Time out, time okay, out. Okay. Um, in that place where you're saying, I'm basically thinking that my daughter, my granddaughter has brand damage. Like, what did, how did you experience that? Okay. Thank you for slowing me down. Because, yeah. so I'm going to tell like the physical things that were happening, and then we can also talk about. And, and the spiritual things were happening mm -hmm. to me. Okay. At that particular moment, I had this moment with the Lord, which I was like, okay, Lord, I know that you're here. I know you're in the middle of it. And you've just told me no to my prayer, mm -hmm. which was so hard, Megan. Right. I said, Lord, I prayed for a good and holy thing, just a healthy mm -hmm. birth, you know, delivery and birth for my daughter. And the Lord said, no. Right. And I was really, oh man, it was like the rug pulled out from underneath my feet, you know, like my human understanding was just shot. Mm -hmm. I had no idea why his permissive will would even allow that. And, and maybe I won't ever completely. Right. Did it feel more like confusion, anger, rejection? Like what was kind of the nature of it? Initially I had peace because I'm like, Lord is here. Was I completely sorrowful and crying a lot? Yes, I was. But mm -hmm. there was a part of me that had peace knowing the Lord is right here. Mm -hmm. He's allowed this for a happen for a purpose, unbeknownst to me or whatever it is. So I was there, but I started having to face when God answers your prayers, it may be the answer is a no. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, why doesn't God answer my prayer? And people think that that means it's going to be a yes. Right. But sometimes right. the answer is no. Or not yet. Right. So he, so right now he just answered a prayer for mine of the healthy delivery with a no. Mm -hmm. And that was the first real big spiritual battle I had to get through because it was a good and holy desire that the Lord said no to. Mm -hmm. And that's where increasing trust. Remember in our last podcast right. we were just talking about he gives you situations to increase your trust. Sure. Yeah. And that was absolutely one of them. Like, hey, Lord, I'm trusting you here. And I really don't understand. And I'm very sorrowful. I'm in a lot of pain about this. Mm -hmm. okay. Did you really feel the trust or did you feel like, I know I need to trust, but I'm struggling to trust? Because no, those are two different things. Yes. No, honestly, with the trauma going on, all I could think of is God is here. God okay. is here. Mm -hmm. He's present and he's here. Mm -hmm. That's all I could right. think of. So you didn't feel abandoned by him. No, I did not. Right. I, I really didn't. Um, I did not feel abandoned by God. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't understand about why the answer was no right. for a good and holy thing, which, mm-hmm. you know, I can, I can probably conject a lot of that from now on, but you know, <laughs> he has his, he has his, his reasons. So that was a really hard and traumatic night. Um, my kids went through and experienced a lot of trauma. They prepared, um, they prepared my kids for her to die Mm. And they were praying. This is really bad. Who's uh, they? The the, hosp- the the physician. So once they oh, got okay. transported, um, they were there at the medical city in Dallas. And um, about twenty four hours later, we got the diagnosis of severe meconium aspiration, like the worst case they'd ever huh. seen. Now, had that been seen at the delivery, like? Did they see meconium in the amniotic fluid? Yes. And so they knew that that was present. Yes. Okay. Um, but their first thought was she's been without oxygen for too long. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but as time went on, that became the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And in less than 24 hours, um, my daughter texts me and says, we need to pray they're going to put her on ECMO. Mm-hmm. So ECMO is, you might know the acronym. Extra corporeal mechanical oxygenation. So basically it's kind of like they pump their blood through an iron lung yeah. and put yeah. it back in. And, you know, that was a blessing in a way that um, that life-saving device, there's only seven um, pediatric ones in the state of Texas, and they had one right there at that hospital. Praise be to God. Right, right. So there was that to me was another... Another one of those things with God saying, I've got your back. I got mm-hmm. your back, you know. So she was put on ECMO and she was on ECMO for three and a half weeks. So the three and a half weeks were in, in a, a dire limbo of, is she going to live? Mm-hmm. And there came a day, um, three and a half weeks in, it was a Friday. I'll never forgive the, forget this. But there was a Friday where um, the news was, She's got infections in her lungs. The one that had cleared up at week two is now infected. um, And she's running a fever and all of these things. This Mm -hmm. newborn on ECMO. And I went, I I work in a doctor's office. I went to my, my friend and physician and said, hey, am I being dramatic here to think that this is life-threatening and it doesn't look good? Mm -hmm. Am I being, and she said, no, this does not look good. So yes, I would hope for the best prepare for the worst well mm. well okay time out though so did you she's already been on ecmo at this point by about for about three weeks you're saying mm-hmm. so in that three weeks like how are you experiencing that how are you interacting with your daughter with your other children how are you kind of managing Navigating it as it? a family yeah. um hope mm-hmm. and joy okay so i look back now at some of our correspondence it's really hard. So we are all continuing to act with joy and hope about a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. So when we get these pictures from the hospital with her, all it really just, you can't imagine how many things were hooked up to my poor little baby girl. Actually, I can't imagine. You can't imagine <laughs> that. Because uh, I've worked the in pictures, the before, but yeah, yeah. The pictures were awful. But if you look at all of our dialogue within the family text, it's like, oh, she's got your nose, you right. know, oh, she yeah. looks so cute with the bow you put on her head. Mm-hmm. And we we continue to just be people of hope and people of joy, which I think God calls us to do that. Sure. Um, was there any part other. of you, though, that kind of felt like, 
while I do have joy and, and hope, it seems like maybe we're not acknowledging some of the realities of the circumstance. Yep. There was part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I asked myself, um, is that healthy? You right. Know, yeah. Is it healthy to pretend that everything is good and okay? Mm-hmm. And um, there were moments where most of the time the answer was yes, because the trauma that they had just been through was so, so deep and, right. and, and difficult that you couldn't even, you know, it's like when someone's dying and they know they're dying, but they're going to remain hopeful. Mm-hmm. You got to remain in a place of hope. You have to remain there. Um, because you could spiral down if you just like, okay, she's going to die or think she's going to die. They knew that that was a possibility. And I knew that they knew that, Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't something we really wanted to talk about. Yeah, totally understandable. Especially if you're, you know, kind of having more correspondence via text message Mm -hmm. and things like that, where you're not actually physically present. But I wonder, you know, within your family that's still at home, mm-hmm. that you're you're with like your husband and your younger daughters, did you discuss your fears? Did you discuss any of the, what if it doesn't go well? Like, was that allowed as a topic of conversation? Or everyone yes. was like, nope, we're not even going to talk about it. No, it definitely was allowed. And I have to say that I think I was the one that was the most pessimistic if you could say or realistic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my teenage daughter is just like mom it's gonna be fine I, I just know it's gonna be fine I can just tell everything's gonna be mm-hmm. fine and, and my husband was the same way um he's a eternal optimist one of the reasons I married him because he was always so optimistic and so he was very optimistic um he knew it was dire but he was definitely as the head of the household what else could he do right he's not going to be I was the one that really was the most real. And that's kind of been my role in the family, Mm -hmm. too, is being more of a realist. I do think that those situations can be difficult, though, in the sense that while while you may truly in the situation feel like everything's going to be fine, have this like total confidence. But if somebody else in the situation really it's like, but what if it's not and needs to talk about that? I think sometimes when the people, a person who tends towards the more optimistic, you know, doesn't like to talk about that sort of thing, because why would you like, why would you even want to speak that negativity into yes, the situation? Yes. You know, like the, the people who are in that zone, but that can be really isolating for a person who has legitimate concerns that things might not go well, that was the me. perfect way. Right. That and was, so I was very alone in where that. Do you, yeah. And that, that feeling of, of alone and yeah. feeling like, these emotions I'm experiencing aren't crazy and, but they're not being validated in a way that's helpful. Like, so how did you deal with that reality of like, did you have somewhere else to take it? Well, yeah, just like I was saying, when I talked to my physician friend and she kind of really said, no, you know, you're not being dramatic. You're not being pessimistic. This is a very realist Mm -hmm. attitude about it. Okay. And that really helped me to not think that I was just being, emotive or dramatic right you know? yeah because yeah. <laughs> I have a tendency to do that but you know? then there's also you know as a Christian sometimes you know you can feel am I being not faithful by thinking that things might that the prayer that I'm praying might not be answered in the way that I want to answer right Which, but you've already you already experienced that at the beginning of this story right exactly you know he did say no and I was befuddled about why mm. he would say no to that. Um, and I may not ever know. We got to understand and give it to the Lord when we don't 
understand his nose. Um, and then for the healthy baby part, the answer was not yet. Mm-hmm. Well, let me take it back to one of my profound moment. Um, the weekend that she, the weekend, the Friday afternoon where she w- had both lungs infected, she's got the fever. She's on ECMO. Mm-hmm. That was three weeks into it. I sat and prayed my rosary, which I'd been doing for her in this p- intention. Um, I remember being by the fireplace um, and really just having a very profound moment with the Lord of giving her to him mm-hmm. that if he wanted to take her because that was his will and his plan, I was in my own way releasing her to him. Mm-hmm. You know, you see how I was still kind of really holding on to my will right? that she'd be yeah. healthy, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But at that particular moment, I completely gave Rosie over to the Lord. And it was the Holy Spirit that said, I've got her, give her to me completely. Mm-hmm. That was what was happening in my prayer. Right. And um, I I did. I like actually had to, to let go 100% to know if it's in his permissive will that she returned to him, I need to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to talk about a very beautiful conversation I had with my dear sister. Oh, <laughs> yes. My, my sister, Jan, mm-hmm. um, when the answer is no, because she had lost her husband a year and a half before that. Mm-hmm. And he was young, 62, and he was going in for a heart transplant. And she was just on fire that the Lord was going to heal him because mm-hmm. that was a good and beautiful thing. And the Lord would like that. And so when he died... She said for the first time, she realized sometimes God's answer is no, and we don't understand it. And we have to talk, to embrace mm-hmm. God's permissive will that way. Yeah. And sometimes also, like, say, for the example of a healing, you can't know that maybe there was a deeper spiritual healing that happened in your sister's husband's life in his soul that she has no idea about and that actually the answer was yes it just it wasn't yes to the healing she was expecting oh without a doubt so her husband has been a an icon for faith in our family Mm. this man was so beautiful i'm gonna give a shout out to you john thank you so much john hoffman for the example you were of faith in this life this Mm. man for love of god um, would pick up and move um, across the country to be closer to where his spirit was being fed mm-hmm. with everything else behind him, like that blind faith that we all looked like was crazy. <laughs> uh, but now in retrospect, I looked at now as brilliance, right? Mm-hmm. And so I want to give a beautiful shout out to him in heaven. God rest your soul, sweet, sweet mm-hmm. brother-in-law. And God bless your family. So in having that conversation with your sister regarding how she experienced a no, what she perceived as a no, like what did you take away from that conversation? That my answer may be no. Mm-hmm. And I, and she was preparing me for the answer to be no. I needed to prepare mm-hmm. for the answer to be no. And how did you feel about that when you just... Because you had, in a way, had already experienced a no. Yes, I already had. Yeah. But her death um, possibility was so 
real. Um, I found a lot of comfort in what my sister said. Mm-hmm. You know, she was just, she'd recently been through everything that I was experiencing. Right. And so that it was that unity in Christ, mm-hmm. that love that we both have, that bond of the love of the Lord. And so it was a comfort to be bonded to my sister over a a tragedy, both in her husband's death and the great possibility of my grandchild's death. Right. And it is evidence how God does often work where he does allow, again, in his permissive will, not his perfect will, because his perfect will doesn't want us to suffer. but And doesn't want death. And doesn't want death, right? But this is not, the world is not perfect at this point, and he permits things to bring good. You can see how he used the death of your sister's husband to bring the good of her ability to speak into your situation for sure through her experience. And you see that so often, you know, when people have gone through some really difficult things and they kind of come out the other side and the Lord gives them those opportunities to bless others through their experience and to accompany them in, in their struggles, you know? And so I think as we, you know, love to try to focus some things on a lot of times in in our discussions on this podcast about relationship, that this is a way that God allows us to walk together, that we have suffering and struggles that we can, that we're at different stages at. And then he'll, he'll bring us together with people who can journey with us, who have already kind of seen the, the path ahead a bit and can help guide us mm-hmm. to that, to the place of a, of a deeper understanding. Which um, I, on a personal note, I personally want to thank you for being there for me. Oh, you're so welcome. I had, I had several, uh, you were one of my main three mm-hmm. and each one of you served a different purpose in my, my journey. You were the calm medical side with the the beauty of the the, the risen Lord. Mm. That was you. I had another friend who was um, just joy. Her vocation, her calling is always joy in the situation, always mm-hmm. seeing hope and joy. And so she was my hope and joy person. And then I have one other friend who I like to call my psychiatrist <laughs> <laughs> who just just would listen to me and just speak truths from a loving perspective mm-hmm. about, you know, just letting me air things off my chest. And sure. It was beautiful. And I needed all three of you mm-hmm. to support me in the different ways that you did. I mean, having that kind of that network, um, really helped me get through with the Lord too, because each of the three of you were always just giving me the Lord's truth mm-hmm. in different ways at different right. times. Yeah. It was really beautiful. That's the beauty of the body of Christ, yes, how we can amen. all reflect different different aspects of God and, and just to bring this fuller image of him. That's, yeah, that's really beautiful. Okay, this is this a halfway mark? Well, we're we're getting there. Let's, we're so you at this point because we've decided that we were going to do this in two podcast episodes because it was just too big of a topic to cover in, yeah. in one well, shorter episode. But uh, well, let me go into then the space in between. Okay, great. All right. Okay, so during this time, I of prayer, I came up with this notion of the space in between, and what is that? The space in between is my prayer goes so far then there's a space and there's God's permissive will. Mm-hmm. So there's a space in between 
my prayers for goodness and 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 I guess you could say my will or what I would like, my sure. holy, the desire and, and holy of your desires. Heart. Yeah, right, right. the desire of your heart. Yeah. And there, and the space in between is that no man's land of where do I go and how do I be when God keeps telling me no to all of these holy desires that I have? Mm-hmm. What do I do? And I had the, the honor of actually going to um, spiritual direction with Charlene mm-hmm. on a retreat. So a wonderful consecrated woman that Megan and I both love, Charlene Alexander, was there. And I, I asked her, I said, you know, what do I do when I feel like I can no longer pray? I got to the point where I like, well, I went through that crisis of my prayers don't matter. Right. Yeah. They don't matter. It doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. And which is kind of a lie. They do make a difference. Oh, definitely. It's a lie. Yes. But there was like that space in between what I was wanting and what God's permissive will was. And so mm-hmm. there was this. And it literally, I, I imagine that space in between of, of nothingness, of numbness, of not knowing. And that was how I would exp- describe how I had to hang out in that space in between for a while, where, Lord, do I simply only pray thy will be done? And that's really what, what I came up with. Mm-hmm. I got to where I didn't, I couldn't really pray because it felt simple and not right efficacious and the i it was more of a surrender to god's permissive will that i had to find in the space in between and and charlene kept telling me yeah you just have to lean into the difficulty the hurt the pain the sorrow just keep Mm -hmm. leaning into it and praying god's will and and that was my answer that i lived in that space in between for several weeks of not knowing how this was going to go and what was going to happen and do my prayers matter where I was wrestling, having that little crisis of, yes, I know, like intellectually, I always knew prayer matters. It matters. It right. makes a difference. But I was having a real time, hard time reconciling it at this point when mm-hmm. I had so many unanswered prayers of, for good and holy desires. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's really a good point because I know you are a person who I remember the first time I ever heard the phrase, Lord, if you want it, I want it too. That's like one of your mantras, Mm -hmm. right? So this idea that whatever God's will is, that's what I want. That's the desire of my heart. And so when you find yourself in a place where you really have a strong desire of your heart for something to go a certain way, but you, you also understand that you don't have you don't know all the aspects of things. Like we have such limited perspective on any circumstance, even the most intimate circumstances of our lives. Our perspective is so limited compared to God's. So it's kind of like when you think about the Lord is weaving a tapestry, right? And we are one thread and he is weaving thousands and thousands of threads into different things, different patterns and things. And so we can't see where the best place for any one thread to go is, but we have a sense of where we'd like it to go. Yeah, right? right. And so in that place of like, you're, it sounds like you kind of were struggling with how do I deal with, I really truly do want God's will, but I have a strong desire. And, and what if my strong desire is contrary to God's will in this right, well, Because his permissive will was so ugly. It was so yeah, yeah. What sad. Is permissive, permitted already. Right. right. I, I just couldn't really, really wrap my head around it. Right. Though. But I also want to say one of the prayers that a good friend of mine, and we shout out to Terry Lipscomb, 
who gave me a prayer that Mm -hmm. I hung to, uh, clung to rather, just over and over again. And she is a mother of 10 and has had her share of very, a lot of difficulties, very Mm -hmm. even similar to this one. Right. And it was, Lord, help me to endure everything that brings my children closer to Christ. Mm. Because that was really the thread. That was the one thing I really clung to, believing it be part of his permissive will to draw my children closer to his beautiful heart. Yeah, I think that really speaks to something that I like to talk about as far as temporal versus eternal. And so, yes, life on this earth is a good thing. It is a good, but it is a much lesser good than eternal life with the Lord. And so anything that brings about a soul coming closer to entering into that place of eternal life with the Lord is the greatest good. And so how God can maybe bring that about in the souls of others through experiences, we're not always going to understand because, and the reality is, is that he showed that on the cross that looked horrible. That looked like the worst but it was the only way for any soul to be able to spend eternity with the Lord. And so when you move to that perspective that Terry brings to you in that prayer, it says, okay, let me endure the pain of the temporal for the hope of the eternal. Amen. So true. Yeah. Beautiful. That got me through. Absolutely. That was my little, that was my cane, my walking stick. It would lift me upright again, you know, as I was hunched over in sorrow and grief. All right. Well, I think that's a good stopping point just to recap for when we come back next time. You know, she's been the dear, precious baby Rosie's been, had meconium aspirations, been on ECMO for three weeks. Things started to look better, but then there was this downturn where it looked like the lung that had cleared had developed an infection. She's got fever and things are looking very, very dire. dire. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we'll pick it up next time. So until then, we thank you so much for joining us. And we pray that uh, you will stay with us, united in prayer and in the Holy Spirit. Next time, we'll continue the story. God bless. God bless. 